0: Radio Vermont WDEV takes no responsibility for the opinions or statements made by the House Calls Vermont show host or their guests. The information provided during the House Calls Vermont show is offered only as a public service and should not be used as a substitute for obtaining any professional advice from a licensed professional.
1: Our house in the middle of our Street. Our house
0: WDEV presents House Calls Vermont with hosts Jim Bradley and Chris West. Each week, a new topic specific to building or renovating in the Green Mountains. And your phone calls. Brought to you by RK Miles, a third-generation family-owned business proud to be your local building material supplier. Find a location near you at rkmiles.com. By Polly Construction. For over 30 years, known for anything construction, big or small jobs, one call does it all, P-O-L-L-I, construction.com. Ken Libby of the Stowe Area Realty Group at Keller Williams Stowe, your trusted advisor, 802-793-2002. By Curtis Lumber, with two locations in Vermont, Williston and Burlington. Request a quote for your next project online at curtislumber.com. Buy sticks and stuff and Swanton lumber with locations in St. Albans, Enosburg, Swanton, Derby and Middlesex. Buy shamrock painting, painting and custom wood finishing. Shamrockpainting.com. Buy wifel windows, high performance passive house windows and doors. Online at W-Y-T-H-E By Matt Clark's Northern Basement Systems. For all things basementy. NorthernNEfoundations.com. Your participation is encouraged. Call the listener line with questions at 802-244-1777 or toll free at 1-877-291-8255. Now, House Calls Vermont with Jim and Chris.
2: Good morning to everybody out there and welcome to House Calls Vermont this Saturday afternoon. And yes, as Joel was saying, it looks like we might uh, have this uh, storm miss us a bit uh, in most of Vermont. But uh, it's definitely cold out there. And uh, when you have these type of temperature uh, differentials, you want to make sure you're doing the right things for your home to make sure things stay resilient, warm and durable. But we are doing the show a little bit differently again this week because still... The COVID uh, situation has wreaked havoc for myself earlier in the year, and then now Chris West, who is remote, but my colleague is I, on the I line am with remote.
3: us. I'm here, but yep. on the phone.
2: <laughs> yeah, he's he's here. So we'll, we'll, we're we're separated, but, but we're still part of the same show. So um, certainly, we welcome you to call in with any questions that you have regarding your your, uh, your your building projects that you're looking to take on with a contractor or possibly on your own to do it yourself project. Um, certainly, give us a call at 802 eight zero two two four. Um, but as for now, you know, the, the thing that's uh, kind of interesting to me is well, one, we have a legislative update. Um, something that the home builders uh, back historically, Ward Smith from Turtle Creek Builders, uh, but also the Home Builders Association, or now it's called the Vermont Builders and Remodelers Association, have been tracking and, and hoping to get in place the initiative of a contractor registry. This is not a contractor licensure. This is a registry. Um, so where contractors can, you know, bona fide contractors can put their name on, on on a list with the state, register with them, have opportunities for training and education, ensure that they're using proper uh, business instruments like contracts, and that they're insured for the work that they're doing to provide uh, effective consumer protection. And it has passed not just the House this time, but it's also passed the Senate. And that's really good news And it's headed to the governor's desk um, for signature. What – right before the show, though, it's kind of interesting. I got an email from – uh, one of the representatives, Scott Campbell, who was on our show last year regarding this very issue. And he said, though it's passed, though it's headed to the governor's, governor's desk, it's likely that he's not going to sign it unless he hears from people like you. Um, yeah. we're, we're being very vocal, Chris. I know you have been very vocal. We've spoken to this because there's just such a need for this to happen.
3: Yeah. When we, when we look at the reasons for having this, super light touch legislation passed. Um, For Jim and I, it's borne out from the people that we've met throughout our years doing energy audits and work in the field where people are just being uh, taken advantage of by unscrupulous builders or by builders who are trying to do the right thing but don't know how to do the right thing. They've never been trained uh, properly on the building science, which is what our show is all about. So... um, yeah, we're concerned that, that the governor is is um, looking at this not as consumer protection, not as a way to, to do as little as possible, but still have a list of people in the state who are working as builders. I mean, you, you cannot cut someone's hair in Vermont without having, be, having being on a list that's in the Office of Professional Registry here at the state. But you can build someone a five hundred thousand million dollar house and never have to sell anyone that you're involved in the building trades. And we're just concerned about the fact that there's a lot of of unscrupulous players in the field. It also is a problem because uh, <clears throat> Jim and I are both members, past presidents of the Vermont Home Builders Vermont Association, and our members do follow the rules. We always. Um, have insurance. We always use a contract. Um, And our members are often underbid by -by fly-by-night building companies who can go under the radar because they don't have insurance. They don't have the right type of insurance. Um, One of the things that I remember we were told uh, when I was uh, first getting involved in, in building here in Vermont is um, make sure that if someone gives you a certificate of insurance for their company, call the morning that they're going to, exactly. to work to make sure it's still in force because the state doesn't require that you have insurance. And that builder could have called up, gotten insurance, had the insurance company print out a certificate of insurance, and then that morning before they start working, they could call up and you know, nullify that, that insurance so that they're not covered, which – Puts us all at at a risk. That's just not not uh, acceptable. So if you have, um, uh, if you agree with us that that having a registry, and just just to be clear, the registry that we're talking about is just that if you register a company that is going to be working in the building field, in construction, in in renovation, in in, uh, weatherization in the state, that the state know that you're doing that, that you're on a list that you have insurance and that if the job is more than uh, I don't remember which bill actually passed either 2500 or $3,500 in total costs, that you have a signed contract. And that Jim's gone over this before. That signed contract can be as simple as a quote that has a signature on the bottom by, from both parties. Right, Jim?
2: Well, that that is true for the Vermont Prompt Pay Law, but also OPR, Office of Professional Regulation, has already indicated that they're willing to put out sample documents that can be used. And, and basically look at it this way. I mean, the VBRA would do the same thing because we want everybody to have the proper financial instruments, contractual instruments in the, place.
3: The, the, the builder and the owner, this is, this is not – this is not hard stuff. You don't do anything without a contract when you're dealing with even thousands of dollars. And we're asking people to to go into agreements for tens, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars.
2: Well, look at it this way. If if you have somebody that you're entrusting your home to and they're building something, they're renovating something, they're making significant changes to your home, and they can't take the time, 15 minutes 30 minutes, an hour to use a boilerplate agreement and just change the name, change the price, and change the work scope. Now, granted, some of the contracts I do for new home builds and and commercial builds, those take days to develop. But we're talking about the smaller type of work. But it allows the consumer the understanding of, okay, this is what I'm expected to pay. These are the services I'm going to get. If there are changes or hidden conditions found, this is how we'll deal with it. And it just gives that level of protection there, but also to the contractor at the same time. But if a contractor is not willing to do what is proper and customary, then why do you want them working on your house? And if they can't take that little bit of time. But this is also about elevating our industry. At a time when we are suffering from workforce development issues, when we can't get enough people in the trades, when 60% of our workforce is retiring out of the trades and not being replaced, we are in a deficit situation. So if we're going to attract attract more people, once again, as I've said so many times before, it needs to be a person's first choice of a career path, not their last resort. But how is it going to be a first choice, a viable first choice? Well, when they see that, hey, we're invested in this. We're getting the proper education, the proper training and doing the right thing to make sure that what we're building is going to last and the people who live in these buildings are going to be healthy and safe. It's just it's common sense in so many respects.
3: Uh, I completely agree. And so what we're asking for you as uh, members of our, our listening audience as as uh, budding building science people, but also just people who are interested in in soft touch um, common sense legislation to protect consumers, we would ask that you would reach out and, and, and call or, or email or even send a, a handwritten letter to the governor, uh so, you know, voicing your support for this legislation, if you support it. Of yes. course if you don't support it, don't send one. But but if you support it then then this is the moment um to let your voice be heard by the governor um and make sure we move forward. Excellent this particular issue. Uh, there there are some other things going on right now, very important issues going on in the legislature, um, which we can touch uh, on slightly uh, before we get to the main topic of the day. Um, and we're right up against our first um, our first uh, commercial. Um, and when we come back, um, we
2: will be having our good friend Steve Spatz back, I understand. Yeah, right around the 1 o'clock hour, Steve will be back on with us. Fantastic. So
3: uh, stay with us. Uh, get your questions ready, 802 802- and we'll see you after the break.
0: Christmas Eve Then and Now by Wife Windows. Christmas Eve Then. And Mama and her kerchief and I and my cap had just settled our brains for a long winter's nap. Tighten up that kerchief. It's going to be a cold one. It's that nasty draft from
4: the window that's to blame.
0: Away to the window I flew like a flash, tore open the shutters and threw up the sash. Hurry, I think I see something. It's stuck. And Christmas Eve now. Look, it's Santa. What a clear, unobstructed view we get through our wife's windows. Quick, tilt it open. Hey, Santa, it's Jim. Those are some good-looking wife-tilt-and-turn windows. I know. Eight locking points keep them air and watertight, and they're made in New Jersey. That's my next stop. I have a new guitar for the boss. I heard him exclaim and he drove out of sight. White windows for all for a house cozy and tight. White windows, high performance passive house windows and doors. Online at w i t h e
4: windows dot com.
2: Welcome back, everybody, to House Calls From On. I'm Jim Bradley with my colleague Chris West, who is remote today. I am remote, still
3: <laughs> getting over my COVID, but I'm I'm feeling much better past couple of days, so I'm sure I'll be back in the studio with Jim by next week
2: definitely looking forward to that and uh, before the break we were talking about some legislative legislative items and specifically the contractor registry if you go to the um, state's website uh, more specifically the Vermont official state website and to Governor Phil Scott's constituent engagement form it's an easy thing to fill out send him a note and say hey listen we're in support of this um, or you feel differently about it and then also um, you can give a call to the state house as well and leave a message for the governor to make sure he knows where you Stand as a Vermonter. But at this time, we do have a call from Rich in Starksboro, so we're going to go to our phones. Rich, um, how can we help you today?
1: Question about that uh, registry bill thing. Yes. Um, suppose I wanted to uh, hire somebody to do some particular work for me, like you know, build a garage or something, and, and the person wanted to bill me by the hour uh, without any established uh, uh, set price. Would that work under this thing? Or
2: Yes, actually. There's, uh, there's three different contracts that they're proposing right now. One would be a time and material basis with no limit. One would be a, a time and uh, material basis and a not-to-exceed clause. And then there could be a fixed price agreement. But the fixed price agreement has a lot of – Different uh, considerations because sometimes when contractors are building houses or they're remodeling, they're carrying allowances because, like, bathroom fixtures, you don't know exactly what the person's going to pick and the prices could vary wildly. But to answer your quest- question, there definitely will be a contract that allows for a time materials, but you could also have a not to exceed or you could have it open ended. So it really depends on the agreement that you work out with your contractor.
1: What about a time without materials where the uh, owner
2: uh, gets the materials themselves. Certainly, because, you know, the way when contractors are making their money on a project, yes, there is a labor component, um, but there's also a markup on materials. And it's not just, hey, I'm going to make you pay more for this. It's also sourcing the materials, making the phone calls, especially right now when things are in such limited supply, trying to fi- find out who's carrying the product and where's the best price. So there's effort. There, and obtaining the right materials, so usually that's where the markup is coming from. But with that, I know of many contractors who basically say to their their customers, "Hey, listen, you pay me my labor rate, and if you want to source the materials or if you want to just pay for them at cost, we can work out something. But that's why you have that engagement with your contractor up front. Get it in writing so you both understand where you're coming from.
1: What, if, also, what about the contractor agreed to me to like work alongside him under his or her supervision and bill me the hours uh, of stuff. Does that work, sure. too? Sure, you can do all well of that.
3: The most important thing, though, there, and something that the registry requires, is that that person be uh, insured. So if you're out there and you hired your neighbor to build you a barn and that neighbor falls and hurts themselves and you don't have a contract with that person, yep. that that neighbor can sue you and sue you for all of the damages and the lag so it's a it's a a legally very dicey place to be in a in a agreement with your neighbor to do something if you don't have a document stating that you know you're doing this work and they're a private company and they're coming in even if the private company is just a, a a person with a hammer you don't want to expose yourself to that kind of liability because something could go wrong and that that's my biggest fear under those circumstances
2: so yep. this
1: this thing would allow a contractor who would, on degree, have me work alongside him. That, um, that yeah, Rich, that's comp- a,
2: that as Chris said, that's a dicey situation, and if I'm going to make any recommendation, I'm going to have to yield right over to what state law is, especially when it comes to workers' comp issues. There's an ABC test basically trying to see, okay, does this person qualify as an employee or not? And even if you were the nicest guy, said, hey, listen, if I get injured, it's my responsibility, whatever, a contractor's taking a risk to losing their insurance and not able to be able to um, get insurance in the future or being put into an, what's called an insurance pool and paying a significantly higher rate It should you get injured working alongside. The way that it's stipulated in the state right now, even if you're a framer – and have your own bona fide company and are insured, and you work alongside another company that's a framer on the same project, they're saying that that really is muddying the waters, and you could be paying higher workers' comp, or somebody's going to be responsible for paying workers' comp there, and to cover you know, just basically the, for the protection of the individual. So I'd be really, really careful about navigating that process um, and make sure you're, you're following state law, because I wouldn't want you to get stuck or a contractor getting stuck in any way. Yeah, so that
1: would kind nice
2: of Connecticutize uh, Vermont a
1: little bit in that respect, then, wouldn't it? I didn't so hear the yeah, question. Did, did catch I, did you that? Well, that would kind of Connecticutize Vermont okay. <laughs> in that respect. A little bit. A yeah. Little bit. But, yeah but we don't worry about it. We get too Connecticutized, and, and then we're, you know. Yeah. all right so
3: You said Connecticutize like, as in do it like they do it in Connecticut?
1: Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. It's a, it's a,
3: Thanks it's for the so one of the things uh, I've had to do some great conversations with Andy Leach. Andy Leach is a, uh, owns Leach Construction with his wife and his brother here in Jericho. And they're members of the, the home builders. We've known each other for years. And Andy was in, uh, uh, as a younger man was uh, living and working in Massachusetts when Massachusetts first enacted their first, um, licensing laws. And Andy's got a lot to say about licensure, about the implications of imposing a licensure requirement for builders. And he's not for that because of what he saw roll out during the 1980s in in uh, Massachusetts. However, he is all for um, a, a, re- a registry, as light touch as possible. But let, let's not keep it uh, completely, you know, wild west, as they, as they call it in, in the building industry in New Hampshire. So I don't, none of us want to see um, heavy-handed governmental regulation. That's absolutely something that both Jim and I, even though we come from different points of the political spectrum, we both agree completely that we don't want this to be a slippery slope situation. But we also don't want to leave, I mean, imagine, um, Rich, if you had, without having talked to us, just gone out and walked over to your neighbor and said, like, yeah, I can build your garage for $20,000. Here's you know i'll you should if you get the materials, you can make it fifteen thousand or even fourteen thousand. You can be my helper and help me go on and he comes over and builds it, and you know he falls and breaks his back and sues you for for everything you got and because you don't have a contract in place, then you are open to that civil lit- litigation um and that's what we don't want we We want as little as possible. But enough to protect everyone in, in that thing, in that scenario, or any
2: scenario like that. Yes, and there's even the state law right now um, for it's one of the few that we have in the state as far as something that is is, is enforced by Vermont in a way. Um, there's requirements there. It's the Arby's Code, Residential Building Energy Standards, which is upgraded every three years and is something that you want you have to build to. Otherwise, there's a lot of issues that come into play. But even with something like that, there is free training. For contractors through Efficiency Vermont and other sources to get the knowledge base that they need, but there's no requirement for that. And also, we don't even know who all the contractors are in the state that we can get that information to. And I will do tests on the other side of a build for people for the blower door test and making sure things are, the code is met and everything else. And you come to find out there was. Ignorant choices made, unfortunately, because they just didn't know better of how they were supposed to appoint the House. And then there's buyer's remorse on the other side, like, okay, now how do I fix this? We'll call early and often, and we'll help you out. But, I you know, we're one one team here that can help people out with that. The state has resources available to contractors that they need to follow state law. So having this registry and knowing who the contractors are, we can get them this information. Um, that's why it's just a, such a simple lift but such an important measure that needs to go through. So – but Rich, we do thank you for calling in today. Taking all my
1: questions. Yep. yep. Bye now. Yep.
2: yep. Bye for now. You're welcome. Have a great weekend. Thanks for the for the questions. So Chris, you know, there there's there's also um another uh bit of litig not litigation, legislation, I should say, going through the State House um for the missing middle income, um uh housing uh Component where this plays right into workforce housing and what people need to have affordable and not just affordable housing but making housing affordable, which is really important and the governor has an initiative there 's going to be a five million from what i understand a five million dollar pilot program to apply fifty to one hundred thousand dollars to the cost of a middle income home to help be- bring down the price. It's an untested, it's an unproven initiative, but they want to see what that will do, if anything, to help bring the price down to make things more affordable. But what people need to understand, with every market stressor that's out there right now, um, with material shortages, with workforce uh, issues, with just delays and the cost of materials going up – all these things are, are making it to where housing is so expensive, especially you know regulations on even getting land permitted, to where the cost in, the, in Chittenden County for a single family residence definitely is well above the five hundred thousand dollar price point. Even a condo in Burlington, trying to find something new at under four hundred and fifty is tough. Um, and so you're looking at seven hundred thousand dollars in Morrisville uh, for a single family home, which is away from Chittenden County, of course, and it's just making it more and more unattainable. So the governor has a proposal to try to help this through. To make you know to offer monies that will stay with the life of the home to make that next sale when the person does sell the home they'll get to take their equity with them but for the that that component that was helped used to buy the house it's supposed to help buy it down for the next person so they're going to try this and next week there's a uh, stakeholders meeting a roundtable discussion with several people from the state house and the home builders um, group that are going to try to help speak to this and hopefully get something viably uh, passed and um, on up and running basically
3: yeah i'm really excited about this this is an interesting initiative basically what's happening with this this legislation is that the state is going to own a share in these houses right the state is is providing money and that money is going to stay in the house right yes Keeping the the, the initial cost uh, of the of the purchase down but the person who buys that house let's say the house costs Four hundred thousand dollars, which is at this point a cheap house, unfortunately. Yes. Um, and uh, the uh, and the person gets a mortgage for uh, uh, 325000 dollars. That seventy-five thousand dollars difference is money that comes from the state, and this is money that we're getting from the feds on this. Uh, on this, this is all recovery money. Um, and then when that person sells that house four or five, six years later, what they get is whatever they can get based on their initial investment of $325,000. That extra $75,000 value stays in the house. And I think that's an interesting uh, way of trying to maintain the affordability of housing. And I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing um, how, it, how it pans out.
2: Certainly. Well, you know, Chris, you know, we've talked about this so many times when we're looking for different topics for our show. um, We usually get clusters of experiences that come into play or come to the forefront, get up on deck, if you will, and say, hey, listen, I need to talk to somebody about this. And here's no exception this week, you know, from the legislative side of things, but also when it comes to certain issues on preserving your investment and then how all these crazy things that are going on right now that we had talked about um, with the cost of material being, you know, accelerating, like, you know, skyrocketing, and then trying to find viable tradespeople that are able to come in and help you with work and, and, and actually perform the measures that you needed. And then, you know, there's just so many other things that are affecting the price. And now we're going to see mortgage rates go up this year from what I'm seeing and being told that's going to happen. So it just makes things more challenging. So with inflation and everything else, all these factors, you want to make sure that when you're spending money on your house, for the, the whole house and also the components therein, that you're properly maintaining things. And, Chris, we've seen so many times where maintenance deferred is the biggest <laughs> enemy of somebody's pocketbook, and this really affects things. You know, there's a, a scientific term uh, called entropy, which means that the a component or an item will basically um, accelerate towards the maximum place Of disorder, And the rate at which that happens is is measured by enthalpy. So basically, things want to fall apart. Think of the car that wants to rust in the field. Think of the home that's sitting there by itself in climate zone 5 and 6, going through the weather that we do, and how things can change and degrade. And then if you don't maintain things, it gets more and more expensive on the other side. So what we wanted to do today... Is talk about some of these preventative measures that are so important for us to get right. Um, you know, as homeowners. And the funny thing, Chris, as I was doing this list, I realized, oh yeah, I got to do that. Um, wait, I better get <laughs> to that one too. So no hypocrisy, full disclosure here. Uh, yeah, it's, it's good for me. It's good for you and it's good for all of us to, to, to know what these items are and how we need to address them.
3: And- Absolutely. Uh, Maintenance deferred is is um, is expensive. Oh, definitely. Uh, right. Um, it's 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 crazy to uh, to think about um, the value of a house with a lot of deferred maintenance. Um, and uh, uh, you know, a lot of these houses that have deferred maintenance, um, or that people choose to defer the maintenance, they're not making a choice out of out of any kind of will willful neglect, right? Exactly. This stuff can be expensive. Um, and, uh, you often buy a house with a lot of deferred maintenance to start with, and that can be daunting.
2: And, you know, and plus with components changing in the home and new and different types of systems that are being installed, whether it be the mini split heating and cooling components or your ERVs, your HRVs, you know, the ventilation for fresh air units that we have talked about so many times, these items need to be properly maintained. And to that end, we actually have a returning guest. He's off the bench. He's he's ready to come back into the field. It is Steve Spatz from Efficiency Vermont. And and we want you to be able to be welcomed again, Steve, but also join us in this discussion. How you doing, Steve?
4: I'm here. I'm with you. Yep.
3: Hey, back. You're welcome. Steve. Excellent.
2: Well, and the dedication Hi, for dedication for Steve is, I was told that he is actually moving today because he said, you know, he just doesn't want to sweat when he moves. He'd rather just wear lots of layers of clothes. So he is moving exactly. today, but taking time in his schedule to be able to talk to us today.
4: Well, it's good to be back with you guys. Thanks for having me uh, back on the show and uh, good to get in touch with some, uh, some folks out there and talk about ways to uh, improve their homes and... Spend less money and put yourself less at risk with these things. So, yeah, happy to have a conversation with you again. Well,
2: Steve, to that end, and, you know, definitely thanks for being here as well and taking the time. But, uh, you know, when we're seeing these components go in, it is just human nature that once we install one of these systems, kind of like when you, if it wasn't for the little Jiffy Lube light or Jiffy Lube uh, decal that they put up in my upper windshield, um, I wouldn't know exactly when to change my oil again, you know. So with these new systems, what are you seeing? Can you walk us through some of these important measures with the mini splits, with the ERVs, HRVs, heating systems that people could unfortunately neglect, but could be really, really expensive on the other side? What, What should they be looking for? Sure.
4: Yeah, I mean certainly just like most anything that, that you're going to um use in 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 your home or in your vehicle any 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 major, you know, um appliance or thing set it and forget it is not the uh <laughs> the, the, the the whole picture. Um so you know, there's some factors that make the maintenance side of it uh, a little bit more um, atten- attainable and, and feasible. So, um, you know, accessibility to this equipment is, is a key thing and getting it installed in the right place so that you'll want to service it and know that it's there to be serviced. Um, that's a major factor when we start talking about, you know, major pieces of equipment like um, ventilation equipment, ERVs, HRVs. That box that does the magic of the heat exchange and the filtration, um, making sure that it's in a place in your home that, and you know where that place is, and it's in a place that you can easily get to it to to do the required maintenance and. You know, one of the benefits of a balanced uh, heat recovery ventilation system is you get filtration of the air that you're breathing in your home versus yes. an exhaust only system where you're just sucking air out of the house. Yes. And so in that filtration side of things, you do need to uh, keep up with cleaning those filters. Um, and, you know, it depends on the equipment. It depends on your household. It depends on a variety of factors, but you'll get to know kind of a, a rhythm of when those filters need to be changed. But or cleaned at least, so uh, that's a key one because if you're not cleaning those filters, you're lowering the efficiency of the ventilation equipment, Um, you're not getting the most out of it, and potentially you're, you know, putting more pollutants back into your air that you had the benefit of of removing um, previously. So uh, that's a big one. ERVs, which are energy recovery ventilators, which are a little mm-hmm. bit different than just heat recovery where you're actually removing some humidity from the air, there may be some condensation that comes with that. And um, you need to make sure that there's a, a place for that condensate to drain and drain cleanly. Um, so that's, you know, a water drain coming from the equipment. Um, and that's another big one with mini splits and heat pumps. Yes. Um when you're using your mini split as an air conditioner, you're going to be getting condensation forming on the inside unit in the house, and that needs to make have a place to drain freely to the outside, or sometimes into an interior drain. So, um, those are a few things. Um, what about Steve? You know, when dreaded- it comes to What about the dreaded bath
2: fans? Because, you know, I I know not everybody can afford the balanced ventilation, but they'll put a bath fan in. And Chris and I have started to use the rule of thumb a couple years back when we see a yellowing smoke detector, a yellowing (laughs) bath fan that is beyond its freshness date and is probably not going to be working right. Now, granted, that bath fan may offer you a lot of privacy because it's old and noisy and clunky, but is it actually working? And there's a simple TP uh, test, toilet paper test that yep. we'll do. Hold a sheet of toilet paper up there to the fan. If it barely stays or drops, you're not moving any air. You're making a lot of noise and spending electricity. Um, but what are the, some of the maintenance items when you get a really good, high-efficient, low-voltage fan um, You know that's in there? What should you be doing on a regular
4: basis? Well, you read my mind. That was where I was going to go next on ah! this for the same reason. So okay. I knew I was back with you guys for a reason.
1: But
3: <laughs> uh, <laughs> Gotta keep
4: so, yeah, <laughs> true. Even in a house, though, that you have a balanced ventilation system, it's, it's it's quite common to still have bath fans in the bathrooms as well. You know, mm-hmm. sometimes it's just not practical or maybe it doesn't make the most sense for the needs of the house to use the HRV or ERV for the um, amount of air you need to remove from the bathrooms. So yeah any fan that that toilet paper tissue test is a great way to see real quick and easy how how well your fan is performing, whether it's actually moving air or not. Um, but also just you know the the grill that covers the fan assembly itself that's up in your ceiling. You know, that should be taken down and vacuumed out and cleaned every so often. Um, you know, sometimes it looks like there's a uh, chinchilla or a, uh, some sort of other fuzzy creature living in your bath fan um, because of the amount of dust that's collected up in there. Yep. And, you know, that's easy to take care of. And if you don't, what ends up happening is the fans can be working much, the motor for the fan can be working much harder than it was designed to, and it sure. can, can really reduce the life of the, uh, the fan itself. Another thing to, um, to be aware of with exhaust fans, too, and, um, is if you find yourself seeking, um, you know, an adventure and looking up in your attic to see, you know, <laughs> maybe what's going on there from some of the other topics that have been discussed with on this show, um, see if you can see your dryer vent or your, your – well, I'll say dryer vent as well, too. But if you see a vent pipe coming from your bath fan or from your dryer in your attic – Above the insulation, that's not a good thing. No, um, you want to that that ductwork needs to be within the insulated boundary of your of your home because otherwise you're you're pumping a lot of um, really really humid moist air into a cold pipe, which will condense and turn to water. And uh, more than more than I'd like to 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 admit, I've seen flexible like dryer duct plastic ductwork used to vent bath fans sitting above insulation and. Between every joist bay in the attic, there's a pool of water in the pipe because there's been so much condensation forming over time.
2: And it turns to ice, Um, and that's what we've seen. I've seen actually the four-inch pipe actually solid with blocks of ice. And so, yeah, your fan's turning on, but it's once again not pushing any air and and normally – Using a dryer vent pipe for this, anything beyond four feet that's not properly, with a proper declination or or slope to the outside so it drains that condensation, you shouldn't be doing. You should be getting some type of rigid pipe. And one thing that people don't realize is, let's say I'm using thin-walled four-inch PVC. You want to go ahead and make sure those joints are primed and are glued. Otherwise, somewhere down the line at that joint, you're going to end up having… Drip, 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 drip. Exactly. So, yep. you know, we want to avoid yep. that at the same time. But what about timer switches and humidistats? Because I think that's really important because people say, well, when do I turn it on? And how long do I leave it on? And whatever. Mm-hmm. What do you recommend there?
4: Well, that's that's an important thing to and a distinction to realize about um, a primary code requirement, uh, which is for whole house ventilation systems. So it's it's especially um, important in any new home because any new home, by default, even at this point, is going to be a tight building envelope because of the building materials and systems and assemblies that we're seeing now. And you can't rely on just um, using a bath fan whenever you feel like, you know, the, uh, the air needs it or the shower, you know, after the shower. You need to have a system that runs automatically. And... Um, that is where you're going to use things like either humidistats or a timer control to set that fan to come on, If it, you know, whether it's more typically you were talking about an exhaust only system, to set that fan to come on um, at a timed interval throughout the day. Because not only are you using that fan to move remove the primary moisture from bathing and using the bathroom, but you also are using it to create some level of fresh air exchange within the home. So unless you um, have a habit of running into the bathroom to turn on the switch for, you know, 15 to 20 minutes an hour and turning it back off, setting a timer system to do that. Uh, And new fans um, have those sorts of controls embedded in them because of the fact that this is a code requirement. It's not just a code requirement for Vermont. This is a, a, a national standard that's required. So, um, you know, newer fans from Panasonic and Brown, et cetera, are going to have, if you get the right one, will have an integrated control that can do that for you sure. and add-on controls to do things like the humidistat where you can actually set it to maintain a certain humidity level in the home. And balanced ventilation system, HRVs, ERVs can go can go from basic controls that will just run on a time cycle throughout the day as you said it, based on the number of occupants and size of the home, all the way up to the point of being able to remove, you know, pollutants from the home specifically, like set to, but set to run on carbon dioxide levels, on um, other pollutants, you know, et cetera. So, yeah, there's a broad range of, um, of, of what you can do with the equipment, everything up from a simple bath fan up to a complex, you know, balanced vent uh, heat recovery system as well.
2: Certainly. Well, we're coming up right onto our second break of the day. And with that, Steve, I want to thank you again for being with us for the return engagement. Um, And we look forward to have you on the show for various other topics in our Efficiency Vermont Corner as we proceed through the rest of the year. So thank you again for being here today.
4: Great. Thank you very much, guys. And, uh, yeah, feel free to go to efficiencyvermont.com. There's actually some other information on there about maintenance, um, and upkeep for heat pump equipment as well, too. So we didn't really get to talk about that, but okay. you can search for that on our website. So
2: wonderful. Thank good you. Good to talk you. to you guys again. Certainly. Talk Thank to you soon. You. And we'll be re- right back after the break and talk to you then. Once again, good afternoon. This is House Calls Vermont, and I'm Jim Bradley with my colleague, Chris West. Remote from Jericho, but here. Remote by himself, outstanding in his field. by uh. his <laughs> Minus three in a field, shivering. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Well, it was great to have Steve Spatz back on. He did mention, and I want to circle back around to this a bit, is that there are maintenance items definitely uh, required for heat pumps because this is a newer piece of equipment. And some of these filters, Chris and I were at a house uh, last year. Well, I think it was last winter, actually. Yeah, uh, it was. And we and Chris, you asked them what about their heat pump?
3: Well, we were, they they had had a heat pump installed five years previously in their kitchen because their kitchen was a later addition and it was uh, basically uninsulated on the bottom of the wall. So they they needed more heat. So they put a heat pump in there and I I looked up at the heat pump and I said, well, when was the last time you cleaned the filters? And they said, filters? And uh, a really uh, important thing to say is this is a heat pump in the kitchen, so there's going to be grease and all kinds of other things in the air. The manufacturer of heat pumps, Mitsubishi, Fujitsu, um, Bacon, and other manufacturers recommend that if you're using a heat pump on a regular basis, like I do, I use my heat pumps 24-7 in the winter to keep my house warm. I don't have any other heat except for wood heat, which I use – on really cold days or when we lose power um those heat pump uh filters which are just the filters you pop the top of the 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 heat pump head and the filters are right there You just pull them down rinse them off and put them back in those should be cleaned every two weeks i usually don't do that i usually wait a month or even a month and a half but they have to be cleaned on a regular basis when you're using them uh the heat pump head is a recirculation head it's pulling air from inside putting it over the fan coil, blowing it back into the room. And there's dust in the, the air in the room. And sometimes sure. there's grease, like we were just saying about kitchen. So if you're using heat pumps to heat and cool your house, um, then just you just need to to be careful. Sometimes you need to get on the ladder, but be careful. Pop up that front of that heat pump uh, head, and you'll see a couple of one or two, depending on the make of the heat pump, uh, of these filters that you just out, go to your bathtub, rinse them out, get all the dust and knock them off and put them back in. Um, yep. And uh, if you don't do that, then you're just uh, uh, you're breathing through, an, uh, you know, a filter full of, of dust, which is, is never good for your health.
2: You know, we have a very uh, timely call that came in um, and they asked us to answer this uh You know, on the air, but they're not joining us right now. But it was regarding, you know, the fact that it's so cold out, and especially when the wind's blowing. But it's it's about heat tape and using heat tape to prevent your water lines from freezing. Interesting question, because a a friend of mine who lives uh, near us out in Cambridge area, she had has a log cabin that was built kind of like a camp originally and then turned into a four season home. So the water line comes up underneath this four foot space. It's not a crawl space. It's just a four foot space and has skirting around it. Um And here this water line comes up. And so she asked, you know, how do I make sure that this line doesn't freeze up? Cause last year it happened a few times. Oh yeah. And, and so the, the person that called in said, do they still have heat tape out there? Does it still work? Yes. You know, it, there's, and a lot of times you don't have any other choice, but what's really important about heat tape is it comes in varying lengths. Um, so I bought,
3: just explain for a second, Jim, what heat tape is.
2: Oh, certainly. So you have this resistance, electric-resistant heater that will then wrap around your water line, and it plugs into a receptacle uh, on the exterior of the home normally, and then it is thermostatically controlled to where when the temperature of the line or the outside ambient air drops too low, it begins to energize, ensuring that the water line does not heat up, um, so it or freeze, does heat right. up, doesn't freeze up, excuse me. Yeah. And so with that, in her case... You know, there's also companion pieces that go along with the heat tape, and that would be something like um, some insulation that would go around it. One yep. thing you have to make sure of, like with all insulation, is that insulation is not going to be exposed to the weather as far as water is concerned, because you turn the insulation into a conductor instead of an insulated resistant uh, to heat loss or, or whatever, um, you, you could change the component of it. So with her situation, as it came out of the ground, I found it necessary as a belt and suspender situation is to dig down several feet to expose the water line below grade. And then I put in foam insulation, spray foam insulation around the line. And then it came up and then the heat tape started. So that way it, you know, and we've had some really cold temperatures well below zero and her water has not frozen up this year at all. So it definitely can work. I ended up picking up this uh, product over at Lowe's, but I know Obushan still sells them. Um, there's others like some of our uh, sponsors like Curtis Lumber, um, and, and RK Miles and, um, also sticks and stuff, should have these on their shelves, but give them a call first. Uh, but definitely, it is still a viable product. It actually performs better than it did before, and it's a great option during these times of year, especially if you're in a home that's above the the actual grade of, of the surrounding area, like a mobile home or a modular home or a log cabin in this case.
3: Yeah. Uh, there was a, One of my early passive house designs in Middlebury was a house on piers, which is basically what we're talking about, a house that has not got any kind of connection with the ground where you can bring a water line in from the ground, which usually stays, you know, between 45 and 50 degrees, and your house, which you're keeping, you know, in the upper 60s or 70s. Um, and I had to do some, some deep digging on a problem uh, that Newton uh, dealt with, which was, um, it's called the the, the, the cold... Uh, problem, Uh, uh, I'll get the name for next time, but basically what Newton was looking into is what are the physics around a a water line, for instance, that's going from a warm place, going through a a, a very cold place and going into another warm place. How, if the water isn't running, right, because if the water's running, it's going to stay fluid, you're not going to get frozen pipes. And one of the ways that if you're afraid you're going to get frozen pipes, you can stop your pipes from freezing, is to leave your faucet dripping a little. Well, that's a horrible waste of water, so we don't want to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, the, Newton bent his his, uh, his amazing brain to this problem of how long does it take for that to freeze? Right? He's got, and, and there are actual calculations that he came up with to calculate that. And uh, the, the owner and the builder were very much against the use of heat tape. And I said, I don't think we have an option here. They're like, if we wrap it with a lot of insulation, then it should be fine. I'm like, wait a second, no, because Insulation doesn't stop heat loss. It just slows it down. Sure. Right? So uh, we were, I did a calculation where we put six inches of insulation around this one-inch pipe going from the ground through an outside area, almost five feet long, into the house. And the calculation showed that you could have three feet of insulation, mm-hmm. and if it was minus 20 out, eight, 20 out you might still get freezing in there. So the solution we came up with is exactly what Jim said, is that we put heat tape on that pipe, and then we wrapped it and encased it in an insulation. And the type of insulation we chose to use was something that
2: could be removed in case the heat tape needed to be replaced at some point. And it needs but to be non-combustible insulation, too. That's what's that, really important.
3: What we used was rock wool. We built sure. a,
2: a rock wool
3: um, – We put we built a – plywood case that was openable and we put uh, six inches of insulation around the entire pipe and that, that has never had problems. So um, that's a, a very similar solution to what Jim came up with, not surprisingly. We're both interested in building science. We're both interested in, in wrapping our heads around these these topics. And, and I hope that that answers uh, the, the, uh, the
2: caller's question. Well, certainly. And, you know, Chris, I do know that we always prepare for these shows. And thankfully, we have the calls that we do because that's so important to what we do here because we want to make sure we're answering your concerns um, and making sure you have the best information. But we do have a complete show ready for next week uh, that is going to be based on maintenance items. um, And so we will definitely be getting to that and going through what household items you should be looking at um, on a yearly basis, on an every-other-year basis, and even in a five-year interval to make sure you're protecting your investment and we'll have links to lists that you can actually print out and then be able to say okay i need to do this now and need to do this the next day or whatever or the next month or whatever um so we're going to have those available to, to you but chris you did say that you wanted to comment a little bit about the indoor air quality test uh, monitors that we are using right now and so could you please elaborate
3: sure um so um Unfortunately, I came down with COVID two weeks ago after I got the monitors back from the first two people. I have the the, uh, the two monitors and I will be sending those out um, on Monday to two people in and around the Bethel area. I've contacted them and, and so you should be expecting to, uh, to get a package on your front porch that you can then bring in and do. Um, and after two weeks, we'll be getting those back and we'll be sending them out. So, um, we have about 12 people on the list. We should be able to get through everybody by the end of March, which is when the show will be ending, and also when uh, the, uh, we'll start opening up our windows once in a while so the indoor sure. air quality of a, of a closed house will be uh, less easy to monitor. But um, the project is going along as planned, and uh, if you are interested, um, please let us know, or if you have a question that comes up uh, in discussing something with your neighbor or or uh, you're talking with your, your partner about doing some renovations on the house, or you're having a, a building science problem like icicles or or ice dams or cool spaces in your house or mold or mildew, send us an email to housecallsvt at gmail.com, and we'll take a look at that email and answer either answer your question on the air uh, or send you an email or get in touch with you independently.
2: And, hey, Chris, um, I trust that e- auto eavesdropping uh, is still up and running, correct, that they could view? Yep. Yep. So how would they best so, do that?
3: So if you're interested in finding out what we found in various other audits, uh, we have uh, our YouTube channel. Uh, that is YouTube slash YouTube.com slash C slash House Calls Vermont. You can just do a Google search House Calls Vermont YouTube and we'll bring you right there. And we have a series of play. Uh, we have playlists. One playlist is the interviews that we've done with people in the industry. One list is the playlist of shows that we put up, um, and those are all at this point older shows, um, but still very good information there. And also the audit eavesdropping where you get to follow Jim and I around during an audit and hear what we observe and see what we were looking at when we made that observation.
2: Certainly. Well, that sounds great, and we are definitely going to have uh, a little bit more of the updates uh about the legislative items but as we mentioned before if you can go to the governor's website or give him a call or write a letter send it by carrier pigeon uh pony express <laughs> but uh, be able to do that and express your interest in bill H157 regarding the contractor registry now is the time you know once again if you want somebody that's going to be working on the place where you and your family live most of the year don't you want to know that 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 contractor has all the educational opportunities and skill sets that they need to be able to do it right? So you're not paying for things again, or as we've seen too many times, health and safety issues come up that the customer has to deal with. So um, definitely and make express-
3: sure that, that the life that that the people who are who are out there working in the building industry um, are on the list. So if the state has important information about up- changes in in regulations and rules that, that builders need to follow, that the state has one place to go and they can just get in touch and get that information out there. And that insurance bit, I, I cannot Huge. I cannot mention enough how important it is to, uh, to have a builder that has valid and operating insurance to protect you and them from anything that could go wrong.
2: Yeah, because litigation, you don't want to rely upon that for making you whole. That's not the consumer protection that we need to promote in this state because we, Chris and I have seen this too many times that, yes, the plaintiff may prevail and get some return on the monies that they lost or some of the health and safety effects that have affected their uh, the building occupants, but you're still bitter. You're still not whole. A lot of time was wasted, a lot of effort, and are you ever really going to be comfortable again? in that home the way you should have been if it was done right in the first place. So it's important to have the registry out there. It's not going to solve all problems. But, my gosh, without anything, we're not making any strides to to, to get where we should be as a professional construction industry um, when it and comes to proper knowledge.
3: protecting our consumers from – I mean, one of the things the reasons Jim and I do the show is because we understand that people think they know a lot about buildings, but in the end, they don't. Uh, the Dunning-Kruger effect, right, where people – um, are, are, are actually uh, think they know more about a topic than they do. I don't know how many people who are our listeners knew about the first condensing layer and vapor guide before you and I started talking about, but sure. that's a really important thing to think about yep. when you're building an assembly. So um, we're very glad to be able to bring this information to us, um, and and a, a contractor registry is, is the, the least we can do to protect our vulnerable, uneducated people, who uh, are out there getting work done by people who may also not know what they're doing. Let's make sure that our builders know what they're doing and listen to our show to learn about um, what you should know as well.
2: And Chris, you know, to that end, I got a call just yesterday. Once again, these calls come in at the perfect times. got a call yesterday from a lady who's going to be building a home in um, the summer coming up. And she, 1,300 square foot home, she'd first called Efficiency Vermont, then they kicked her over to us, and it was all about what does she do with an ERV or an HRV or what are the products out there that are available? We had a great discussion regarding that. You guys know where we stand on this and how they function. But then I started asking a little bit more. Uh, You know, she wasn't paying me. She just started, you know, I was just giving her information, but I'm curious about this. What are you doing with the rest of the house? What is your, the assembly of the walls? You know, typical two by six construction, dense packed walls, and then one inch of plasticized insulation on the outside. And I said, unfortunately, I'm not guaranteeing that's going to fail, but it's really code compliant, but it's set up to possibly or probably fail long term because of the first condensing layer. Then I expressed to her the different insulation ratios and everything else between cavity insulation and outboard exterior wall insulation that you should have and what safeguards against a building failure. And so it was really a nice discussion. But once again, she's trying to build this home and she says, well, how do I find somebody that is going to be able to do this for me? And it understands this because I've talked to a lot of different people and I have not talked to anybody that is as knowledgeable and Passionate about this and that's the thing you've got to be passionate about doing the right thing. It's not just about building the most opulent house, it's about building that something that is sustainable that's healthy and safe that's durable and it's going to last and that investment of that individual is going to be protected at the same time and to whomever else they sell it to. And so there's a need. Is what we're saying. There's a need for the contractor registry so that contractors can get the information, the educational opportunities that they need, so that clients or the consumers are not left in the dark. That's the biggest thing, and that's why we continue to promote this.
3: I I, I could not agree more. We're we're passionate about this, and and this is one of those pivotal moments in the the uh, legislative cycle where the legislature has has listened and they've passed this. And we just need the governor to get on board. So if you can help us with that, that would be great.
2: So once again, this has been another episode of House Calls Vermont with my colleague Chris West, myself, Jim Bradley. We thank you so much for being here this week, as always. And we look forward to speaking with you again next week. So have a great week, everybody. Have a great week.
0: House Calls Vermont on WDEV. Brought to you today by RK Miles, a third generation family owned business. Proud to be your local building material supplier. Find a location near you at rkmiles.com. By Poly Construction, for over 30 years known for anything construction. Big or small job, one call does it all. P O L L I By Ken Libby of the Stowe Area Realty Group at Keller Williams Stowe, your trusted advisor. Call him at 802-793-2002. By Curtis Lumber, with two locations in Vermont, Williston and Burlington. Request a quote for your next project online at curtislumber.com. And by Sticks and Stuff, Sticks and Stuff and Swanton Lumber. With locations in St. Albans, Enosburg, Swanton, Derby, and Middlesex. By Shamrock Painting. Painting and custom wood finishing. Shamrockpainting.com By Wythe Windows. High performance passive house windows and doors. Find them online at wythewindows.com And by Matt Clark's Northern Basement Systems. For all things basementy. NorthernAnyFoundations.com. Be sure to tune in next Saturday during the noon hour at 1230 for House Calls Vermont on WDEV FM and AM.